8, and uh, I, this psalm is a tremendous psalm. It's not a lengthy one, but I've entitled it, How Excellent. Uh, I think when you think about God and you think about the things of God, I think that it should characterize what we do with the level of things that we do, that we do things with excellence. And uh, everything that I try to do for the Lord, I don't do it so that people would say, wow, look what you did. I, I, to me, everything's a reflection of the Lord. And I want you to see as David writes here in Psalm 8, beginning in verse number 1, O Lord our, God, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings has thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visiteth him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and thou hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the pass of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Uh, there's background to each one of these psalms. I think that's what makes it special. You know, you look at our, our hymn book that we sing out of a, a, every service. And one of the reasons I like our hymn book is because if you study what we call hymnology, and I see Brother Carl a lot of times, I know he, he knows a lot of things about many of the hymns. Other members in our church, Brother Kenny, a lot of times uh, will look at the background behind a hymn. Many times a, a hymn is based on scripture, but it's bore out of some life experience. And that's the way many of these Psalms are, is that this particular one tonight goes along with the passage in 1 Samuel 17, where David fought against a giant named Goliath. And this is a passage that a lot of us know, this Philistine champion. Uh, the Bible records that every morning he would come out in this valley and he would he would uh, look across the valley of Elah and he would basically look towards the camp of Israel, the host of Israel, and he would begin to mock Israel. Or really, he began to mock the God of Israel. He began to defy the armies of Israel. And, and David arrives on the scene, as you've read that story many, many times. And when David gets there, guess what's happening? Nothing. Zero. They're all standing idle. Uh, it's like they're frozen. It's like no one wants to do anything. And David thinks to himself, now, wait a minute, because it was in a day that the king would actually lead into battle. Now, we don't see that today because uh, they're afraid that if the king leads into battle and the king gets killed, it changes everything. But back in that day, Saul was king. And David thought, why isn't Saul doing something? And the next thought maybe he had was, well, then why isn't Jonathan, the son of Saul, doing something? And then he thought beyond that, well, wonder why my brother Shammah is not doing something. Or my brother Eliam, why isn't he doing something? I mean, why is everybody just standing idly by? And so here's what David decides. If nobody else is going to do anything, then I will fight the man myself. 
And I, 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 every time I read that story, I think, to, I, I think we see the pictures of how big Goliath was and how small David was. And everybody thought, well, this giant, this Philistine, he was too big to fight. That's why nobody was moving. As a matter of fact, Saul was not a small man. Saul was a big man. He just wasn't as big as Goliath was. But a lot of folks thought, you know, I'm not going to go out there because that guy's too big to fight. And I think David's attitude was, yeah, you're right. He's too big to miss. I mean, David's thinking, look, I fought a lion and a bear. I mean, who's this guy? I mean, if you ask me, I would think that a lion or a bear would be more ferocious than some man could be because, again, all we have is our hands and what we have in our hands, but a bear and a lion, I mean, they, they come, I mean, they, they're, they're ferocious animals. And so when, when David arrives on the scene, the Bible says that Saul said to him in 1 Samuel 17, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. I mean, uh, this man's a seasoned veteran. This man has killed many people. He's taken many lives. He's their champion. And David, you're just a, you're just a kid. Uh, you have no experience. I mean, who do you think you are that you, can, you think you can stand up against this guy? And so David, we know the story is he put them all to silence, didn't he? Because not only did he defeat the giant, but he took his sword and took his head off. And it, what's amazing is, is that in that time frame, that when this happens, David is taken into confidence where David now is trying to tend to the needs of King Saul. Saul was troubled, and uh, he would have these, these rages in his life. And so David has the task of trying to charm the king out of these dark moods in his life. Look what the Bible says in 1 Samuel 16. It came to pass when the evil spirit, notice these words, from God. When the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took an harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well and the evil spirit departed from him. So David had the, had the, uh, the opportunity, just like with Goliath where he defeated that giant, David had something somewhat similar, but this evil spirit would come upon Saul and David would play and he would literally put down that, that giant, that, that thing that was troubling Saul. See, it was probably during this time that David was trying to help Saul that Psalm 8 was written. Somewhere in there when David was trying to help Saul and when David fought Goliath, uh, there's the Hebrew expression that's attached to this psalm Here's what it means. It means the death of a champion, the death of a champion. And it, I think many people believe that it, it, it's talking about the death of the champion that was between the two camps. That's what it literally means, between the two camps, between the camp of Israel and the camp of the Philistines was this man who stood in the middle. And so Psalm 8 refers to this no man's land where we stood not too long ago on top overlooking this valley and, and, and the, the man that we was with, he said it, back in this day, in David's day, there would have been the host of the Philistines right here because Gath was off to our right where we stood and across that valley, he says, 
off where you saw those, that group of trees. He says that's where the host of Israel would be camped. When we finished up there on that, that hill, we drove down the roads and came down to the, where that valley is, and that's where we went down into the brook where David took those stones. And of course, he, put, he had five of them, but he only needed one to take the giant down. And so David is, is, is writing here about this, this man in no man's land between uh, the, the Philistines and Israel, and it, that was dominated by this man by the name of Goliath. Now, Psalm 8 is kind of interesting because it's not just this account of David and Goliath and what he went through, and this giant of a man, because Psalm 8 really is a prophetic psalm. When you start to look at it, it, it anticipates the coming of the, the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of the age. In other words, uh, when you study the scriptures, here's what you find is the world has at this time, at this age, the world will find itself another champion. See, Goliath is gone. But the Bible describes that in the end of this age, now if you know anything about the Bible, the next event on God's timetable is called the rapture, the catching away of those that are saved, those that are in Christ, and that when the rapture happens, it will commence what is known as the time of tribulation. That period of tribulation is a seven-year period divided straight down the middle, three and a half years, three and a half years. There's a, there's a figure that comes to light at the end of the age, going into that time of tribulation, and that person is known as the beast. This will be the champion that will rise in that day. This will be the one like Goliath in his day that will defy Israel. Because according to what you'll see in the Bible, if you've read enough about it in the book of Revelation, Israel is powerless against this beast because he is promising things and he is doing things that no one else has been able to do for quite some time. He'll be the one, just like Goliath, who stood between the camps. That'll be what the beast will be. He will defy God and God's people. But here's the best part, is that one greater than David. See, David took Goliath down, but this beast is no Goliath. This is a part of Satan's arsenal, Satan's plan. And the Bible describes one greater than David will come and will put down that champion. Look what it says in Daniel chapter 2. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The Bible's describing here how this, this stone cut out without hands. And if you've read it in the Bible, that's a description of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And it says here that, that he will fight against this blasphemous champion, uh, the beast. And according to the word of God, that beast, like Goliath, will go down. And we see here that in a moment, Satan's strong man will be no more that Jesus will be victorious. And it, through Hebrew teaching, here's what you find is that this psalm that is prophetic in nature, that takes the parallel of the time of David and Goliath, is actually a song that Israel would have sung 
before King Saul. And the reason that they would do that is to subdue or to put down that evil spirit, that demon that was plaguing Saul in his life. That might have come from maybe his jealousy towards David. And so it's kind of interesting when you look at this psalm that it's not just about his account with Goliath, but it's really something far more than that. And can I tell you the same thing about our lives as Christians today, being a part of the church, that, listen, this is much bigger than us. You have to understand, just like we mentioned, Brother Flynn's mentality, do I have some tracks that I can talk to these people? Because if we live our lives just for what's on this earth, we're going to miss a lot of opportunities. Matter of fact, there will be a lot of people that won't make heaven because we won't be thinking, if I don't reach those people before it's eternally too late, they will never spend a day with the Lord. And we have to understand that this is how excellent God is, how God works. And I want you to see, beginning first of all tonight, how excellent is the Lord's position. The Bible says in verse number 1 of chapter 8, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth who has set Thy glory above the heavens. See, there's, today there's millions of people. They bow down to Allah. They bow down to Buddha. There are many who claim to be atheists that bow down to no God at all. There are people that bow down to all kinds of, of gods, false gods. But those of us that know, have come to understand the Lord, the Bible says this in Philippians 2.9, that God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Folks, listen, there's no other name like Jesus. There's no other person like Jesus. Uh, the Bible tells us in, here in this psalm, look at verse number 9, same as verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. I mean, David here is, is standing with this man named Goliath who is defying and cursing David by his gods. Look at verse 45 of 1 Samuel 17. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. David says, look, I, you can have all your armor, you can have your big old sword. You can have your coat of mail. You can have your, 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 your shield bearer. You can have all those things. He says, but none of that is going to stand against my God. He says, I am here in the name of the Lord. See, the Lord's name is excellent. And it's, listen, it's not only excellent in the earth, but his name is excellent above the earth, in the heavens. And we see how excellent is his position. But notice, secondly, the, the excellence of the Lord's power. Because in verse number two, his power is seen as the conqueror of the world. He says, lest, in verse number eight, uh, verse number two of chapter eight, he says, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. See, God doesn't need an army. You know all God needed was a baby. Guess how Jesus came as a baby. Everybody struggled with that in that day. Why? Because they were waiting for some 
prince, some king to come riding in on a, on a horse to save them from tyranny. But yet, what did God send? He sent a little baby. Remember, remember Pharaoh in the Old Testament? Remember how the control he had and what he was doing to uh, the children of Israel and, and, and how he had them in bondage? What did God use? God used a baby. There was a baby in the bulrushes. His name was Moses. God used a baby there to deliver his people. And the Bible says similarly in Matthew 21, 16, that Jesus said unto them, Yea, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? God can use anything, but God has chosen to use, look at this, he's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And I see that, look, his name is excellent, the Lord's position, but I see how excellent is the Lord's power. He is his power as the conqueror of the world. He's put down those that, that stand against him. But notice his power is also seen as the creator of the world. David writes this in verse number three. The Bible says, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained. I mean, look, I like to build things. I really do. I like to put my hands together. Uh, this thing right here, I, I built this thing in front of the platform here, the front of the pulpit, and uh, we're, we were just working on some stuff for missions conference. I, that, that took a lot of skill. I cut a couple pallets apart from behind Walmart and nailed them together, you know, and then I put the stuff on there, and Miss Becky did the paint. She made it look good. And, uh, and, but, but here's the thing is, no matter, I have to have something, some material if I'm going to build something. I can't just say, I'm going, to, I'm going to build that without any material. And when I think about our God as the creator, David was a shepherd boy who spent his early days of his life out in the fields in and around Bethlehem. David probably laid in those fields at night looking up at the sky, looking up at the moon and the stars. And, and he probably thought, you know, I know the God who made those. I love what the Bible says in Psalm 147, verse 4, about God. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Now, we know some constellations. We know the name of a few stars, but God has named every one of them. He knows every last name of those stars. And this comes from the Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. Now look at these words. He created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Anybody know what the word void means? Empty. He created the world out of nothing. The, 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 the uh, word that theologians use is the word ex nihilo. It means out of nothing. God created, look, when it came to creating this world, the spirit of the God moved upon the face of the waters. A long time ago, Galileo, the first time he looked through a telescope, he looked through that telescope and he said, there is so much more than man will ever dream of seeing. I mean, every time man has an opportunity to go up into space, they find things and they discover things 
It's just amazing how God has created. God said this, mine hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand hath spanned the heavens. When I call unto them, they stand up together. <laughs> Listen, there's not a mightier hand than our God. You know why? Because he's not only the conqueror of the world, but he's the creator of this world. This is his world. God is the one, the Bible says, by him all things exist and by him all things consist. If God took his hand off, we'd all either freeze to death, which some of you are starting to think you are because temperatures dropped here, or we would burn to death because we get closer to the sun. Aren't you glad that God doesn't let our planet spin out of orbit? And God keeps all things together. See, he's excellent in his position. He's excellent in his power. Notice, thirdly, David writes here how excellent is the Lord's presence. Look at verse number five of our psalm tonight. He says in verse four, he says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visited him? For thou hast made him, man, a little lower than the angels. He's made him a little lower than the angels. See how wonderful it is to think about God has made us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I, I read this uh, statement that somebody made. I love it. He says, God is more interested in people than planets. God is more interested in souls than he is in stars. God is more interested in us than he is in the universe. And when I think about that, in about two months, less than two months, we'll celebrate Christmas. And what is Christmas? It's when God was so interested in us that he came down to us, that God loved us so much that he gave his son for us. And God is mindful of us. It's, he says here, what is man? I'll tell you what man is. He's the crowning of God's creation. God breathed into man, and he became a living soul. Listen, God loves us so much that he let his son die for us. That's why God is mindful. And when God thinks of man, God understands, because he's God, that we're mortal man, that we are weak. And the Bible says in Psalm 144, and verse 3, Lord, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him, or the son of man that thou makest account of him. Now, if you see here in this psalm, and you see it in the Old Testament, the phrase there, son of man. Notice the word son is not a capital S. It's a small letter S. It's talking about mankind. It's talking about you and me, mortal people. But when you get to the New Testament, there's an expression called the son of man. And it's a capital S. And it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is the, the last Adam. Now, again, you have the first Adam, which was we're all created. Every one of us have that sin nature that we inherited from our father who inherited from his father. And you can trace it all the way back to Adam. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. See, nobody who was born of woman on their own could ever get to God. But aren't you glad that there wasn't just the first Adam, that there's a last Adam? That there's a, not only a first man, but a second man? And the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 47, 
The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is of the Lord from heaven. That's talking about Jesus. See, the God who visited man in the Old Testament, he's revealed himself as the Son of Man in the New Testament. He's the successor of all the earth. In the person of Jesus, God visited the earth, but in the person of Jesus, the Lord is coming back to stay. He's going to set up his kingdom on this earth to rule and reign on this earth. And the Bible says, in Adam all die, but even in Christ shall all be made alive. And so we find here that that when you think of the Lord's presence, that God would come to us the way that he does. He came to us, and we, we see that at Christmas time, we celebrate his birth. And of course, we see from some of the scriptures how he grew as a child. And even at a young age, he, he boggled the minds of the doctors of the law of the day. And so we find that God, he came to us the way that he did, but notice letter B, that God should care for us the way that he does. I'm glad that I have a God that cares for me, that cares about every one of us. The Bible says in verse 5, in the last part of that verse, he's crowned him, talking about man, with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hand. You remember the account in the garden where God made everything and then he put man over. He allowed man to name and, and, and to call everything out. And the Bible says, Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, the beast of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the pass of the sea. So we find here that God does care for us. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, We see Jesus, and he himself was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, and crowned with glory and honor that he, Jesus, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. So presently, look, Jesus was made lower than, any, than the angels, but the Bible describes here in Psalm 8 that we also presently, currently, that we also are a little lower than the angels. We were created by God, and God has given us dominion over this planet. God has allowed us uh, to, to, to be a part of his creation. God has created us. God companions us. We see that it says here that God will crown us in this psalm, and then God commissions us. And, and the Bible says in Isaiah 43, look at everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory, have I formed him, yea, I have made him. God has made us so that we can live for him, and as we receive Christ, the Bible tells us what? That we need to walk in Him, that we need to be a part of Him. Look what James chapter 1 says when you think about this matter of Him crowning us. He says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love Him. So we see how excellent He is. The Lord's excellent in His position, and He's excellent in his power and he's excellent in his presence but then notice he's also excellent in his portion because when you go to verse 9 you see again the bible says "O lord our lord how excellent is thy name in all the earth the opening and closing verse of this psalm they're they're basically the same 
They call it an envelope song because what starts with the first verse is, is concluded with the last one, but it wraps together the truth that you find in between. And the truth is that we see how great God is. But I think it's also true that not only does God create, but there's evidence here of the grace of God and how much God loves us. See his position, he's above every name. You see his power, he's, he created all things, he's the conqueror of this world. His presence, that he comes to us and he cares about us. And we see his portion here, that his grace is extended to us by his love that he has for us. Now look at Psalm 184, or 148, verse 13. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heaven. We have a lot to be thankful for, but when we read this psalm, may it help us to understand that although we might be dealing with some giants in our lives, that one day the Lord's going to come back. And the Lord's going to take care of all of that. He will put all the enemies down, just like David did with Goliath. Nobody, nobody would have thought that David could have beat that giant. And can I tell you that when Jesus was on this earth, outside of those that did follow him, the world as a whole thought he's just another man. And they thought by crucifying him, they got rid of him. What little did they know? that one day he will rule and reign. And so let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the time that we've had in your house. Thank you for this psalm as we reflect on maybe a time in David's life as he was trying to help Saul, but also as it points to many, many years even from now, that, Lord, you will come back. And that the beast that for three and a half years has promised peace and that has had his way in this world, that you will put that, that beast down, you will put what Satan is trying to accomplish in this world, and that you will establish your kingdom. We look forward to that day. Lord, I pray that you would be with our, our missionaries that we support. God, be with each one of them, as uh, I know that there are some that are not able to be uh, on the field right now because of some unrest in their country that you've called them to serve. I pray that you be with Brother Northcutt and his family, his father, his mother that are going through this very trying time. Pray for our own folks here. God, that you would be with each one of those needs that were mentioned tonight, especially the Flynn's uh, this evening. Uh, Lord, we just thank you again for your goodness. Thank you for the reminder of how excellent of a God you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.